You know, the name of the talk, this talk, is like the worst title. It shouldn't be the Franciscan option. It should be the Franciscan necessary. Because the world needs this fire. The world needs us to burn. These are the inspirational words of Father Agostino Torres, Franciscan Friar of the Renewal, and this is OSV Talks, a show where we explore topics from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussions, explore new or re-explore old approaches, and inspire creative thinking, all from the heart of the Church. My name is Doug Took, and I will be your host. What is this something that can sometimes grab a hold of our hearts and just like, burn. Those who know, know that it's not something, but someone. And this someone is Jesus. The radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins. He now sits in majesty in heaven. Okay. But sometimes, like, we live in times that's it's hard to, to know what to do with that. You know, it's like foreign. We need someone to show us in their flesh how. And so for those of you who feel this call, I propose to you the Franciscan option. But what about those who are called to bring Christ to the world today? I mean, forget the world. What about my own family? Francis would say that we need to incarnate Christ in in our lives. You see, Francis was broken. You read his writings, he had a a, a low image of himself. And he gives those of us who struggle with the same things a way to bring the world what is most important. The Franciscan option is the Holy Spirit on fire in your heart. If you don't know where to start, let me give you a gist. You gotta be with the church that loves the Eucharist. You gotta be the door and love the poor and you gotta be the flavor. You gotta be the sauce and take joy and embrace your cross. Francis, he believed that the church was the bride of Christ even though the church is flawed. But Christ is a faithful husband. He knew that the Holy Spirit was working through the cross. He knew that reform would come through the church and not in spite of it. Those who are living the Franciscan option live with these same convictions. Father Agostino Torres was one of our featured speakers for OSV Talks, filmed before a live studio audience during the week of October 5th through the 9th. We also had the privilege of interviewing him about his incredible priesthood and his dedication to the Franciscan way of life. His full talk is available at osvtalks.com. His message is titled, The Franciscan Way. What does a 13th century monk have to teach us about engaging culture in the 21st century? In his OSV talk, Father Agostino lays out a brilliant understanding of Eucharist, the cross, and the poor, and how we are called to set the world ablaze. Father, I am just fascinated by your background of migrant work, uh, South Texas, um, being in a family where there was no faith, and then your mom's reversion to faith. All of these things are just unbelievable to me. Can you kind of explain that to me? Just kind of tell me about your past 
and really where your formation comes from? I remember when I was a little kid, my parents taking me to the strawberry fields, not the Beatles song, but the strawberry fields. And I remember them telling me, watch out for snakes. And that's like one of your first memories is like, okay, I need to watch out for snakes. But, um, but when I was growing up in, in high school, uh, I worked uh, picking uh, grapefruits. Uh, my, my grandfather was, was like in charge of, of this, this, uh, this group of people that would go in. And let me tell you what, after that summer, I was like, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to study. I'm going to do whatever I, I could. But I learned such an incredible work ethic. And uh, what I later read from John Paul II, his encyclical, one of his first ones, Laborum Exercens, I saw the dignity of the hard work that was there. And, um, and it's something that in my life, I try to live. I remember the faces of the men who from sunup to sundown work by the sweat of their brow. And I'm like, I'm working in the fields of the Lord. And I want to bring that same work ethic to what I do. And so I kind of joke around, you know, like most people were born cradle Catholics. I was born a cradle communist, <laughs> but like I was born into an atheist home. And I remember my parents telling me uh, religion is to control, is to control poor people, the opium of the masses. But I remember hearing that. But, but even then I had like this natural religiosity and I, I knew God existed and that's the total gift But I was baptized when I was a teenager. So your parents were divorced, your mom gets remarried, and faith enters back into your household. How did that stimulate for you the thoughts of becoming a priest? How did that process begin? But my mom really prayed for me, and she, um, uh, she prayed to the Blessed Mother for my own conversion, and, uh, and our, our Blessed Mother sent one of her favorite sons, John Paul II, to the United States. It was one of the trips that he was coming to the United States. And I was this pesky high school kid who was who thought I was smarter than I was, who knew it all. And um and my mode was like, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna get ahead. Uh watch. Watch what I'm gonna do. And um and when they announced this trip, I thought Nah, I'm not going to go on this trip. Like, not all the holy rollers. At least I'm consistent. You know, I don't pretend to be holy or anything like that. You know, like I was, I was living a duplicitous life. You know, uh, what, what I did on Sunday morning was completely, uh, irrelevant to what I was doing just the night before. Um, and this is how we lived. Um, and when I heard the invitation to, to that trip to go see the Pope, something began to like burn in my heart and I, I ignored it. I'm like, no, 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 that can't be happening. Not to me. Were you going to mass? Were you engaging the faith in any way, shape or form? You see, I would go to church, but I was really skeptical. I was like, mm, what is all this? Is this just the control of the masses, the opium of the masses? You know, that little seed of doubt was still very much in my heart. And it was through that experience that I was convinced of three things, that God exists, that he loves me. Sometimes people think God exists, but that's a big leap. You know, they have like a deistic view. It's like, oh yeah, God, there's a God, but like, you don't really care. God loves me. And the third one, which is really what prompted me to change, is I realized that there was a battle going on for my soul. 
And up until that point, I was letting the wrong side win by not doing anything. I began to pray on my own. I don't, I have to ask my mom, like what she thought during this time. And, um, and then somebody asked me the question, have you ever thought about becoming a priest? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) so, so this had never crossed your mind, which is incredible. I mean, just an, an unfaith background to this moment of invitation to the priesthood, what happened next? I just did not believe it. And when I got to like the, the end of it, the heart of it, it's because, it's because I knew how weak I am and I didn't want to fail. But that was something that God had to correct in me. I thought I had to do it. And finally, I just leveled with God. I said, look, you cannot be asking me to do this because I do not have the gifts to be a priest. And, and all through this, I just felt this little voice saying, I want you to become a priest. I was like, I'll do anything you want me to, except for that. And through it all, you know, like the, God gives you all these confirmations. A lot of young men um, who are thinking about the priesthood, discerning, like, they had, oh, Father, it's so hard. Like, yeah, man, I know, man, I know, I know. Remember that you are called, is what I tell them. Because there's so many distractions that come up There's so many reasons why, and really good reasons, why I should not have continued. But it boiled down to the call. Is God calling me? And I couldn't deny that he was. I was like, no, he's still calling. I got to keep on going. And that's what it boils down to. And and, and now when young people are like asking you, like, is this the person I'm supposed to marry? Is this the job I'm supposed to take? Is this the vocation I'm supposed to live? Like, what? is the call. Let's work on you gaining the skills, for lack of a better word, to hear the call. Let's list it out. Let's work on it. Let me walk with you. So what you're really getting at here is the heart of discernment. Who do you give credit for helping you to focus, to listen, and to begin to respond to that call? I am forever grateful to Mexican grandmas. Because they saw me show up uh, to the adoration and they just adopted me. You know, I was like the only young guy there and they were just praying for me. I'm convinced that the reason why the world hasn't been destroyed is because there's grandmas praying for the world, you know. Um, But uh, but they were the ones that were, I guess, like mothering me through. My my mom's great. But like I was in my late teens at this point and I was like, look, mom, don't tell me anything. You know, like, yeah, I'm not I'm not there. And so I needed somebody else. To, to, to be that. And then I had a youth minister there. I had, you know, uh, growing under um, relationships with other young people who were, who were very interested in following their faith. There's a retreat ministry that I, that I, that I tried uh, to help out in. And, and it's like, it's almost like the environment began to like show me and like you, you pick this up by osmosis. Oh, you're reading the Bible. Oh, I should read the Bible. Oh, you go to daily mass. Um, yeah. And so I remember when Lent, I said, okay, I'm going to go to mass every single day for Lent. And, uh, and it was hard and it was a sacrifice, but I think that that was another turning point, but I saw it in someone else. And so this kind of like formed me without an official, like spiritual director or something right. like that. And got me to a place. Cause I, I grew up with nothing. I didn't have CCD or, you know, like whatever state that's in, I didn't have any of it. And so like I was a tabula rasa trying to learn what it means to live what I, what I was experiencing. So this is, this is, uh, 
part of the gift of the popular piety, the, the faith of people, because that's what formed me. I love how it took a whole community of people around you to just sort of walk with you in faith. So is the rest history? What happens next? Do you just kind of jump over to New York and join the CFRs? Or how does the, how does the journey ensue? I went to school with open to the possibility. And well, more than that, I, I knew God was calling me, but I still went to a four-year party school undergrad. So so I took some couple, I took a couple steps back. Lord, I'm sorry. Um, and there was a there was a moment there where I was like, look, you know, I'm just gonna get married, um, as you know, as as with anybody. But then by the end of those of, of my my college years, I was like, I had met the friars. In retrospect, there's no way a guy from Texas would have just gone to New York to go check out this order. And at the time, we were just in New York, um, and. And so going up to New Jersey, I met Father Benedict and some of the other Franciscans. And I was like, who are these guys? And I remember thinking like, okay, that's a bit much. <laughs> uh, okay, you know, you do you. You know, that's, I'm sure you're doing good stuff. The whole like beard, sandal. I, okay, I'm from South Texas, okay? The first time I saw these guys, it was like in January. And I was scandalized <laughs> that they weren't wearing socks. I was like, it's cold. I was like, it was like 50 degrees out. I was just like freezing because I'm from like the hot weather. I was just like, oh, that's horrible. What are they doing to these guys? That's what I thought. Um, But now I'm one and I'm just like, that's nothing. You know, that's not really a sacrifice at all. But I saw the sacrifice. I saw like, like the, um, the, the look again, it was the look that started things out. And then um, I got to know them more and more. I saw how down to earth they were, how, how how the friars would work with young people. And little by little, I began to feel the same pull. Like, oh, no, what's going on? And then I visited. And it's interesting because like I was struggling in college. I was struggling and I was like, no, this isn't going to work. And through the struggle, I came to know, and this is before he was cool. I came to know Fulton Sheen because at Seton Hall, they had a full library of all his talk before you can get it on the internet. Um, and so I just started getting into this and I was just listening to him and he was like the daily holy hour. And so I began as a college student to do a daily holy hour. At least I was there. Sometimes I was asleep, but anyway. Um, and this is what like began to, to, to quell the, um, the uh, uneasiness in my heart. And I knew, okay, wherever I go, I need to be praying a holy hour. And I visited the friars and it was like, that was like a staple of their life. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. What's going on? It was almost like through that struggle, I realized that I needed something and that something that I needed was in this order. And boom, it was like God speaking to me. This is why you went through that so that you can know that this is your place. And so it's like struggle can be a real blessing when we see it from the eyes of grace. and. It was a confirmation that God was calling me here. I joined, I've made first vows in 2001. And so it's going to be 20 years. Incredible. Tell me about the mission. Tell me about the work of the CFRs. Tell me about the good work that you're doing and the, the way that you're sharing the word and, and really living the Franciscan way. 
So the, the religious community of the CFRs is based in the Bronx, but we have priories in a lot of different areas. My own work is I'm an itinerant preacher, so I'm like a full-time preacher, but I also run a nonprofit that's called Corazon Puro, which means pure heart. And we have a couple of chapters in different places where we're working with the young people. In our neighborhoods, marriage is like a, a, an endangered species. And there's so few marriages. In fact, in our neighborhood in the Bronx, 70% of the births are to single parent homes, 70%. Um, and the abortion rates are through the roof as well. So those who are born are born to single parent homes. Uh, this is like crisis mode and you can see it. You know, there's all these studies that talk about the disintegration of family life and its correlation to crime, to health problems, to all this other uh, social ills. Um, but so the question then remains is like, how do you bring to a neighborhood that doesn't know what marriage looks like a Catholic marriage? And so that's why we, we started Corazon Puro. I, in, my, in the seminary, I studied under Cardinal Dulles, actually, my thesis of, on JP2's, uh, theology of culture. Like, how do you enculturate something? How do you evangelize culture? And so like all these thoughts from my thesis, I began to uh, put them into practice in the South Bronx. And what was born was, was Corazon Puro, which was just kind of like trying to form the idea like this is possible in the hearts of these great young people. So how do you do it? What are the practical strategies for the ministry? Dialogue, which leads to solidarity. So a true listening to where people are at and then a true rapport uh, gained by them on the street, we call it respect, so that they would listen to what we were saying. So like our work with the homeless, our work, you know, feeding families, our work, you know, burying the dead gave us that street cred, for lack of a better term, so that the kids would come in and listen to the teaching. And we were like saying marriage is possible. And I remember this one man saying like, yo, father, like my pops left when I was a little kid, his I never knew him. My 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 other pops, you know, from from the other side. We I've never seen what's being asked of me right now in being a father and being a husband. And so this is what we're facing. But the fact that they were coming and asking that question, in and of itself, is a victory. It's like then we can say, "I hear you," but this is what you can do, and this is the grace that's being given. Yes, it is possible, and yes, you're doing it. And just that word, if you will, that, that fatherly accompaniment to a generation that is fatherless is, is I have seen, is so incredibly beautiful. In fact, I got I to gotta boast. Can I boast just real quick? I have been given the grace. Okay, I'm a priest, right? I'll, my, my, my aim is like, I want to be the priest that you asked to come to your wedding. But um, a couple weddings uh, where the father had actually passed away the bride asked me to walk her up twice. It's happened to me. Um, and I'm just like, it's so funny. I never worry about what I look like. I mean, I wear the same thing every day. I never comb my hair. You know, the scene. I was so nervous. I was like, how do I look? Is it okay? Oh my gosh. You, you look great. I'm like, ah, ah. just, uh, just things you never thought of, you know? And it's almost like God saying is like, look, you thought you weren't going to get, that if you became a priest, I'm going to give you that in so much. That's how God works. What a gift. 
What's next for you? What do you got on the docket? I don't know if I'm ever going to do this, but I, I have a title of a book. Accompaniment hurts like hell because it hurts. It's like, oh, well, we want to accompany you. That is hard. And the young people in my neighborhood, they're like, okay, that's a lot of talk. Let's see where you at. And you, it means that you show up when, when, you know, their uncle overdoses and is in the ER. It means that you're there, you know, when, um, when somebody gets kicked out or when somebody's deported, you show up and it inconveniences you. Or maybe that should, should be the title. Accompaniment is very inconvenient. And sometimes we want to be efficient in the wrong way. It's like, well, you know, um, if you show up between nine and five when the office is open, it's like the gospel, the gospel is 24 seven. And, uh, and this is a struggle because, because I have to have my own prayer life. I have to have my own fraternity. I have to have, you know, my own things, but, but with the structure there, it's almost like when a jazz musician imp- improvises, it's like, he's making it up on the spot, but it's all within structure. And this is part of the beauty. I think of what the, the Lord is asking the church to be when it goes to the peripheries, when it's a company. I like your title. Uh, I, I'm just wondering why now, why this idea of the Franciscan way of life, the Franciscan option, why is it so relevant now? 21st century today, all of us four rows back, three seats in, how does this impact our lives today and how should it change our hearts? A couple of reasons. I mentioned in the talk, uh, an article by George Weigel from First Things and him saying that uh, we need a model that emphasizes personal witness first and that an academic model uh, would be ineffective because we are so damaged intellectually. Now, he, he goes into the, all that stuff, but basically it's like we're living in a time where the credibility of the church is very low where the credibility of established religion is, is difficult to, to, you know, to, to talk to, they're not going to have the young people, the world is not going to have the same level of respect coming in as they have in generations past. In a way, we're starting from zero. And solidarity that is built from dialogue is what JP2 called it. St. Francis said, living the gospel. And what that means is that you don't start with, you know, like, oh, so what's your worldview? Is it what's your anthropology? It's, it's, uh, there's a poor dying person right there. I'm going to go to him. Do you want to come with me? And in that experience, um, you, you begin to see the world completely different. And it's, it's like this, this mode of, of putting into action. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Sometimes I feel that our solutions are born and they die in conference room. We talk a whole lot. Francis, he heard God's call and then he started moving and then people followed and then he went to the church. We sometimes we were like, we're like in our heads. And, and, and that's why the Franciscan option is so important right now. Because it's doing something. And, oh, you know, what's wrong with going to the poor? What we do is we go to the homeless. And I tell the young people, it's like, look, 
Jesus is there. Don't, don't, don't treat him like, like somebody less than. Treat him like, like, like you would if you found Jesus or like Joseph and Mary wandering, looking for a place to stay in Bethlehem. You know, and that it, it begins to change the way you see the world. Now, of course, these are kids from the Bronx, so they're, they're street smart. They know that they're not going to put themselves in a dangerous place. I'm not saying that. But like it's, it's beginning to see the possibilities of providence in somebody that you're used to just walking by. So what are the first steps, especially for a layperson? What are the first steps in the Franciscan way? Well, I think that it, it begins with a deep love for the Eucharist. And then, because that was formative in Francis's life. And all these other things began to kind of like move from it. Uh, Jesus is there. And when, for instance, us as priests, uh, we need renewal all over the church. And in Jesus' name, we need a renewal in the priesthood. As a priest, when I see a family come, to six o'clock mass on a Monday morning before dad goes to work, that impacts me. Now, I know it's hard to do with kids and everything, but, um, but I know that when I see the faith in your eyes, when I see the belief in your eyes, um, this transforms me. This happened for Francis. Like there was these priests doing some not so good things and they began to change just seeing this man's love. So I would say that that's first, love the Eucharist and then know and believe that the Holy Spirit is active and effective through the church. And the reform is going to happen through the church, not in spite of it. It's important to say during these times where we're so divided, where in a way some people are kind of like their own little magisterium that says, I don't believe that in the church. And I'm talking about both ends of the spectrum, right and left. No. The reform is going to come through the church because this is what Jesus established the church to be. Francis knew this, even though he knew the church was flawed and broken. But his belief, it's almost like I I, I heard an interview of a sergeant major of the U.S. Marine Corps. He's like the highest ranking sergeant, but he's still a sergeant. And they asked him a question. What do you do if like a greenhorn lieutenant, you know, walks by and you have to salute him? You've been serving for 30 years. And he says, I salute him. And by my salute, I say, I will follow you. Lead well. This is like the perspective, I think, that can convert bishops and priests who feel beaten down, who feel the burden of administration. But when we see the faith in the people, we're like, you know what? If we lose, and I hope not, but if we lose all our building, but I have these people, we're going to be just fine. You know, the name of the talk, this talk, is like the worst title. It shouldn't be the Franciscan option. It should be the Franciscan necessary. Because the world needs this fire. The world needs us to burn. These are the incredible words of Father Agostino Torres, Franciscan friar of the Renewal. You can listen to his and all the OSV Talks at osvtalks.com. We hope you've enjoyed this show. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review our show wherever you like to listen. Contact us at osvtalks.com with your questions and or comments. Friends, 
Innovative thinking is at the core of OSV, and OSV Talks is part of a much larger effort to be a catalyst for Catholic innovation. OSV Institute for Catholic Innovation, in partnership with ODB Films, brings you these talks from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussion, explore new or re-explore old approaches, and inspire creative thinking, all from the heart of the Church. Until next time, God bless. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.